0: Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you lead and guide as we look at your word and and ask that you present to us and to those who will listen in the future what you'd want us to see in in this uh, chapter. And we just thank you in your precious name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting at verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whither you go over to possess it. Take you therefore good heed to yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spoken to you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image of the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath, and lest lest you lift up your eyes to the heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars even all the hosts of the heaven should be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord your God has divided unto all the nations under the whole heaven. So we'll stop there. Uh, So Moses is continuing on with his reiteration of the law and he says, God has commanded me to give you the statutes and the judgment and remember statutes are the prescribed tasks, the limits, and judgments are the body of law that that they're living by, that you might do them in the land where you go over to possess. So he's saying, I'm going to give you, I'm re-giving you these rules so that you'll remember them when you go into Jordan. And he's reminding them. And he says, take good heed to yourself. In other words, know that you are capable of breaking these, so pay attention. And he's really bringing it down to this, that all of them are capable of deceiving themselves. And we see this quite often where people will really get to the place where they think they are so good, so devoted to God that they will not fail and they will not put the guard on their life and they will end up failing. And he says, you know, you saw... You didn't see anything when we were at Mount Sinai, but the fire on the heaven, uh, on the mountain. Okay, and we, we, last week, we talked about that, how what they saw was the thunder and the lightnings and the, and the fire on the, and they heard God's voice, and it scared them so bad, they fell down, and then they told Moses, you go up. We don't want to have anything to do, you know, with this. Uh, you would go find out what we're supposed to do, and we'll do all that you tell us to do, and that was a lie. They, they immediately broke off right after that. But he's saying, you didn't see anything. You, know, you did not see what God looked like. And this is really critical because as the Jews, we follow a God that we have not seen. We don't have any pictures of Jesus that are legitimate pictures. They're man's creations hundreds of years after he, after he walked this earth. And... It depends on what country you're in and what country the artist was in as to what he looks like, because he looks like whatever their artists draw him up to look like them. And so verse 16 says, Lest you corrupt, you you pervert, spoil yourselves, and make a graven image, which is a statue, or the similitude of any figure, which is a likeness, that would be a painting or a drawing, and you make, them, you make it after the likeness of a male or female. And this is Moses is talking to them because he's going to really list every possible way that they could do this. But he's also kind of giving them the idea of all the other gods that they've been dealing with. You've got Baal, a male god. You've got Baalim, a female god. You've got Astora, which is a female goddess. And you've got all these people that they've been dealing with that are male and, and or female. And he says... And also, don't make any likeness of a beast. Now, this is a direct uh, statement of they were trying to worship the golden calf. But they also came from Egypt, where there was all kinds of animals and animal figures. Many, many of these idols were also uh, totally mixed up. They had the body of a man and a head of an animal, or the head of a man and the body of an animal. That so. He's given them warnings. Don't make them either male or female. Don't make any beast on the earth. And in case that's enough, don't make them anything that flies. (laughs) No birds, no wings. Uh, Don't make any image of anything that creeps on the ground. Uh, And again, when we went back to Egypt, they had the plague on the locusts, the plague on the flies, the plague plague of the lice, the plague. You know, they had the snakes that that they threw down and, and ate each other. So all of these things were gods to the, to the people of Egypt. And he says, and make sure you don't do any fish either, anything that lives in the water. So he's trying to cover just about everything, whether it creeps, flies, walks, swims. He says, don't make anything that's created. And he says, or any fish that, in the water beneath. And then he says, and in case you lift up your eyes, Don't worship the sun, the stars, the moons, the planets, and all of that. Because, again, Egypt worshipped Ra, the sun god, and many others have worshipped a sun god, or a moon god, or goddess, or the stars, and all of these things. So Moses is trying to, through God, cover all the bases. Anything that you see, don't try to make it into an idol. Because God is is bigger than all of those. And this is what we have to always remember. God is bigger than anything created, so therefore nothing created can can be worshipped in his place. And as long as we remember how big he is, we can we won't be tempted to worship all these other things. The the problem is how easy it is, and we taught the kids in VBS this week about how. God is the one true God, and Satan is all these counterfeits. And when we went over the di- various different counterfeits, you know, the one thing I warned him is it's real easy in the teaching se- session to understand what the counterfeits are from the real. And it's very important for us to keep in mind, if we concentrate on the real, we spend time with the real, we won't have problems with the counterfeits. But counterfeits come so close to the real sometimes that we can get tripped up. We, we know that God created everything, and yet there are people being hammered with the evolution message so heavily that they start to believe bits and pieces of evolution and forget that God's the creator. They get so busy with lifting up and working all the time that they're not serving God. They're just, so they're serving work, and work becomes an idol. Some people, it's their entertainment. They spend all their time being entertained and not any time with God. And it's real easy for a counterfeit to pop up. And this is what Moses is warning. Don't let anything get in there and be on your guard. Because it is so easy for them to to get in there. And then he says, Lest when you lift up your eyes into heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, even all the hosts of the heaven, should be driven to worship them. And this is compelled thrust. I mean, this is a real strong thing in serve them. Moses is saying, you're going to have a strong desire to serve idols. And we see them, they are everywhere in America, even though we don't have big statues or or pictures that we, we bow down to usually, but we do bow down to the God of entertainment, the God of work, the God of lust, the God of you know, pornography and all the fashion. different things, fashion, you know, everything that we have, the greed that people have, and we bow down to it. We have an entire multi-billion dollar industry that tries to give us the desire that we need things that we don't need, advertising, advertising, is, his whole goal is to tell us that we need something that we don't need. And it creates that need in us so that we'll go out and buy the products that they're they're trying to sell. Even though we don't need those products. And it says that you be careful because you can be driven to them. And which the Lord has divided unto all the nations. So God is trying to divide all nations away from these idols. And yet right from the very beginning, idols have been worshipped. Adam and Eve, right from the very beginning, decided that they wanted to be like God because that was what Satan's, you know, God is keeping this from you because he knows that the day you eat of it, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. They, They fell for the same sin that Satan fell for, to be like God. And ever since then, man has had a trouble with wanting to be like God, to worship things that are like God, not God himself. And we've seen it over and over. And this is something that we've got to be careful of. Verse 20, But the Lord has taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people inheritance as you are this day. He's taken you out of an iron furnace. He's tested you. He's tried you. He's proven that you are his people. Through trials, through troubles, he's proved to you himself and you to him so that you are his inheritance. And I like this, that unto him a people of inheritance. We are God's inheritance as well as him being ours. He's our family, he is, but he takes pleasure in the people that he has chosen or that he knew would choose him. Because of the chief end of man is to serve God, and God has created us to serve him. He has created us to, to be worshiping him. And he loves gathering the people that are his inheritance that have chosen to, to worship. Furthermore, in verse 21, the Lord was angry with me for your sake and swear that I should not go over the Jordan and that I should not go unto the land, unto that good land which the Lord God gave, gives you for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan. But you shall go over and possess the good land. So here again, we're seeing that same issue that's going on. That we've mentioned this many times. Moses always accused the people for not being able to go into the promised land. He never confessed to his error. And his error in Numbers 20 was that he got mad at the people and he struck the rock because he was mad. And ever since that point, he blamed the people of Israel for his getting mad. And, this, and then he says, but I must die in this land. And I've said already, I believe that if he had ever confessed his sin, he might have gotten to get in, go into the land. But he never did confess his sin all he said it's your guys' fault it's your fault it's your fault it's your fault and he kept kept doing this so we'll see this especially in this chapter but all through numbers he was doing it but all through deuteronomy he's trying to remind them it's their fault blaming others it's it's a habit that we all do moses did it and over and over again he's going to keep saying it's your guys' fault that i don't go get to go into the promised land and he never really confessed that it was his fault. Now, Moses, we know, had a problem with anger. That's what got him in trouble in Egypt in the first place when he killed the Egyptian. When he came back, he's constantly getting angry about things. He gets angry when the children of Israel are complaining at it, to him at the at the Red Sea. And he, and he yells at them, why are you complaining to me? God's the one that led us here. They, they get across the Red Sea and that and the... The waters of Murrah and and they're complaining and he gets mad at them again you know Moses is mad at the people frequently because he he is a man even though he's called the meekest man that's ever lived in the scriptures and and all of that he has a vicious and violent temper he comes down off the mountain and sees the people worshipping the golden calf and what's he do? He breaks the ten commandments and This is Moses' forte. He is an angry individual, and he never seems to get victory over this sin that besets him. And yet he will blame the people, as most angry people do. It's never the angry person's fault that they got angry. It's the people that drove them to their anger that that they get mad at. And they very rarely will say, well, you know, Oh, good. oh my goodness! I'm. I got angry. It's my fault. It's It's almost always. and If you know angry people, you hear it all the time. They drove it. He did it. She did it. You know. I wouldn't have been angry if they didn't do this, that, and the other thing. So it's always their fault. And this is what Moses keeps telling the people. It's your fault. I'm not going to get into the go to the promised land, and it's all your guys's fault. He's trying to make them. Feel guilty. Try to motivate them from guilt, too. You know, start keeping, the, keeping these rules and don't drive your leaders crazy. And the one thing we're going to see about the Jews is they have this tendency to not be obedient and not follow the rules. Yeah, they do. And it doesn't take them long after they cross into the Jordan to, to uh, follow suit. Now, it takes, they, they were nicer to Joshua for a period, or Joshua never emphasized it because he may not have had as much problem with it. But we see the book of Judges, they, they keep doing what's right in their eyes, they fall down, they repent to God, they get a judge, they, fall, you know, they start doing what's right in their own eyes. We see the same process in Saul when he becomes their king, he starts doing what he thinks is right. We see it in even David, as he gets older and he takes Bathsheba as, as, uh, as his wife and kills Uriah, has Uriah and, and Uriah's men killed at the, at the gate so that he can have Bathsheba. We see Solomon doing the same thing. Is he very wise, very, you know, God says, what do you want? He goes, I want wisdom so I can rule these people. And then we watch him fall flat on his face as he forgets that it's God who gives it to him. And we go through a whole series of kings in in Israel that none of them are righteous men. And in Judah, there's only like four of them that are righteous. And we see over and over the people. But before we say that they're bad, we got to realize that we as our as human beings also tend to walk away from God. And that's what this first part of this said. Be careful. Be on your guard so that you don't fall away from God and follow idols. It is so easy for us to fall away from God and follow idols. And we just wander away. And before we know it, we're way out in right field someplace, you know, in the middle middle of doing nothing and, and we kind of go well what happened to you God You're, you know, and God said well you kind of just went off your way I'm, I'm watching you I'm standing here watching you I can still see you but as long as you wanted to walk away I'm going to let you walk away and let you get beat up by the world for a while and then hopefully we come back like the prodigal son but God knew this and this is this is what we're going to see in this is that Moses knew that people would drift from God. And this is what this chapter shows. Verse 23 says, Take heed unto yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and you make a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. And if we go back, he, he forbid male, female, uh, things that walk, things that fly, things that swim, things that creep all the heavenly bodies, you know, so pretty much we just covered that. He, he pretty much said, anything, don't make a graven image or, or a picture of anything to worship. And he says, lest you forget. How easy it is to forget. And this is what we have to understand. If we do not spend time in God's word, we do not spend time in his church. We do not spend time with other Christians talking about God. We will forget. It's not a question of may we might forget, but we will forget over time. And this is why people go, well, I can worship on the mountain. I can worship on the beach. Well, yes, you can worship on the mountain. You can worship on the beach. And you might for a day or two, a, season. a week or two, month or two maybe if you're really really spiritual you might even go a year but eventually you're going to stop worshiping the God the one true God because it is in our nature to to not seek after him and if we're not living with other people this is why God said forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching we need one another we need one another to be able to be sharpened, to be raised up. But when people see you and they go in love, they go, Well, I noticed this. Hey, you know, you've been going this way. or We haven't seen you for weeks. Is everything okay? But if you're not there, then you won't get this. We haven't seen you for a while. And it's a very sure thing. that If you stop coming to church, you're going to stop reading your Bible. You're going to stop studying the God's Word. It's almost a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And people go, well, I can listen to all the pastors on the TV or the radio. I go, well, yeah, you can. But still, you need the fellowship with God's people. You may get a little learning that way and little, a little expansion that way. Who do you ask your questions to when they say something that doesn't make sense or, or you need the, the, the expansion upon what they said? You, know, you write them a letter and, and two or three weeks later, you might get an answer back from them. It doesn't work. They're not your church. They're good and, don't, and, and you guys all know that I have said over and over again, I listen to a lot of pastors. I listen to a lot of speakers. But I need the body of Christ. I need other people. They help me to stay accountable for things. And this is what he's saying. Lest you forget and you go make these idols. And then it says in verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God okay he's a consuming fire he's gonna burn away all of the wickedness in us but he's a jealous God now jealousy in human thought is always neg- is always a negative thing and for the most part people who are jealous are very negative they hold on so tight to the, what they're what they're what they're trying to hold on to basically that they strangle it but jealousy does have its positive side as God says and literally what this word in the Hebrew means it's Elkanah and it means that he will not allow any rival for his people's affection and this is the way the husband is to the wife and hopefully the wife is to her husband mm-hmm. they're not going to let somebody go after their their, mm-hmm. their partner now that's you'd still a Dangerous place to go because I've seen people that are so holding on to this person that if somebody of the opposite sex talks to their spouse, they get all jealous and and paranoid, and that's not good. It's insecurity. That's an insecurity. That's a that's a, a not not trusting the the person. Yeah. You know, I let my wife go out with her friends. You know, to go do things. I'm not worried about her going out and going to find some other guy to. Now, if she was trying to go out with another guy to a dinner, we might have a different problem. But going out with her friends from work and everything is not a problem. If they're even talking to other guys out there while they're doing not it's not a problem. But God is not going to let us worship any other God. Because he is God and he is jealous of his position with us. If we get into the idea of I'm going to work so hard and work becomes my God, God's going to, take care of us especially his children the world they can go after that God if they want but his children start making work their God they're going to start having trouble at work work is not going to be the thing that pleases them their God is going to say work is not going to be your God entertainment they get, they're going to get bored with entertainment and God's going to try to get in there and say no this is not what you're going to do And again, there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with entertainment as long as it's in balance, and in its proper place. And in America, we're entertaining ourselves to death. I think the latest latest survey said that people are watching six hours of television a day. Really? A day. And they're kind of well. Let's not say. I think. I don't think it was I don't think it was television. I think it is. They all. Electronic devices computers televisions tab- tablets Yeah, Telephones to a degree but telephone at least you're talking to somebody so that's not near as bad as some of the other stuff But you figure if somebody spends six hours a day on entertainment eight hours Of work if they're working that's 14 hours out of their 24-hour day. That's given to work and entertainment they sleep for eight hours 22, that gives them two hours to do anything with God. Maybe. And you figure during that time, they're eating, showering, shaving, you know, uh, getting, you know, cleaned up, you know, so they're not spending much time with God at all. This is what is the problem. Where do we spend our time? If we want to really know who our God is in our life, Keep a log. What are you doing each hour? Keep a log for a, you know, a, a, for a couple days to a week, and then look it over and say, where is my time going? I think, I, I think I'm serving God. And then you find out you're giving God two hours in the whole week, or what it might be. And you find out that you're spending 30 hours a week in front of the TV. You're spending you know, you know 60 hours at work you start really finding out who your God is. And the other one that they recommend is look at your checkbook, where do you spend your money? You know, where is all your money spent? But that'll give you an idea of who your God is. And of course, there's certain monies, your your mortgage, your, your utilities, or certain things that are just going out for a living. But even that could show you something. If almost all your money goes out just to survive, you either make nothing or you have way too much expenses and you need to say, "Do you need that nice house, or is it just because you're trying to show off your house?" And this is where we get to keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Well, my friends all, you know, just we, you know, bought the bigger house. I, it, it's only my wife and I, but we need the, the, the eight-bedroom house with the, the 16 bathrooms, because, you know, Joe over there got one.. <laughs> you know, we, we need the three new cars, even though there's only two of us driving you. Know this is the problem. Where is our money spent? Where is our time spent? Is there anything wrong with those possessions? Again, no. As long as God is in the midst of them. And here's what here's what Moses is telling the people. Take heed, lest you forget. Because God is jealous. Verse 25 says, When you shall beget children, and children's children, and you have shall have remain long in the land, and shall and shall corrupt yourself and make graven images and likenesses of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land where you have been go over to the Jordan to possess. You shall not prolong your days upon the land, but you shall utterly be destroyed. Here Moses is being a prophet. He sees the day, sometime in the future, because he's talking about grandchildren, great-grandchildren. But he sees the future because he knows the people, that they are going to be disobedient to God. And at some point, they're going to become so disobedient that God is going to take the land away from them again for a while. And this is... This is We're going to see this also when he starts talking about when you go in the land and you ask for a king, he already knew that they eventually would ask for a king. And then he would tell them what a king would do and all of this. And then Samuel, when he he was the one that they asked for a king, he told them what Moses had already told them the king would be like. Mm -hmm. So Moses is already knowing that these people are going to take the promised land but that they're not going to get to stay there forever because he knows the type of people they are, that they will reject God. Now, we know that this is going to be about 800 years later when they finally get captured by the Babylonians. Well, Babylonians for the Judah and Assyria for, the, for Israel. But he's looking down the future and saying, there is going to come a time when you're going to lose your land. And they don't, still don't take heed to it. This is a prophetic word. He goes, there will be a time when you turn away from God. And you will lose your land. And he's going to give them a little bit of comfort after this. But he goes, there's going to be that time and you're going to perish because of your sin. God's going to judge you. And he's telling this to a people that are getting ready to take the promised land, the land that they've been waiting for. And he's going, there's going to come a time when you're losing it. And he only goes to grandchildren, but we know that it's much longer than grandchildren before they finally lose their land. (coughs) So in verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you, and there you shall serve gods at the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So he said, you're going to go into lands and you're going to become just like them. And the sad thing is that for years the Jews, even though they held bits and pieces of their traditions when they were scattered around the, the world, they never fully kept their Judaism intact. They would keep the Passover. They would keep the major feasts. And some degrees would, would keep the Sabbath. and But they, they did it all out of, not love for God, but just out of formal religious practice. This is what we do, this is how we please God, and so we do these things. And basically they turned everything to God in and, and turned it into religious practice. And God is saying, you're gonna worship. And many Jews have turned from their faith over the years. You know, Not even keeping a semblance of it. There's people that are Jews just in name. They're, it's a nationality and it's not a, it's not a religion. They don't practice any form or practice in Judaism. They don't keep the Sabbath. They don't, eat, they don't eat the foods. They don't keep any of the laws because they're just a Jew because they were born to Jewish parents. And there's no religious practice. And even today in Israel, the majority of the Jews that live in Israel are non-religious Jew, uh, Jews. They are atheists, they don't even believe there's a God. Now they'll tell you they're in the land that God has given them, but they really don't believe that there's a God. And then you've got the real you know, Orthodox Jews there that are really pushing for everything. And even to this day, the bulk of the Jews are atheistic Jews, at best agnostic. It's always shocking when first people first realize it because they think the Jews are, yes. are a religious group and then we find out that they're really not, they just consider themselves a nationality. But uh, we see this going on all the time. But you know how many people are quote unquote Christians that do the same thing. Right. You know our churches are filled with people who claim to be Christians, but really don't seem to believe in God. Even they're, you know, I'm a Christian because grandma and grandpa were a Christian, or my dad was a pastor, or I go to I go to the church every Sunday. You know I don't read my Bible. I don't pray to God. I don't. I don't believe that there's a God. I just go to church. That makes me a Christian. And this is American. Yeah, American. I don't hear that as much as I used to. This is a sad thing. And there's so many churches out there that are full of pastors that don't know God, don't believe the word. And why they're pastors, I have no clue. Why they call themselves Christian, I have no clue. I don't understand how anybody can call themselves a Christian and not believe in Christ. But this is the problem that's out there. The Jews did it. The Jews did it and they knew that it was going to happen. Christians, quote unquote, Christians do it. And this is what grieves me when I look at the Christian population. There's so few people who are actually Christian to begin with that really have a relationship with God. And you talk to so many people and you. And they'll go, well, I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to, well, you said you were a Christian. What do you mean you don't want to talk about God? Well, I don't, you know, I just don't believe that stuff. Well, then how can you call yourself a Christian? And this is very critical on this. Now, the Jews we know as a whole group will not believe in the Messiah until halfway through the the, uh, tribulation period when the Antichrist arises and calls himself and shows his true colors and shows that he's, who he is, and then they're going to go, oh, we've been lied to, and all of a sudden God does something supernatural to reveal to them that the Messiah is Jesus, and it's supernatural, you've got the 144,000 witnesses who've been witnessing all this time, you've got the angel flying back and forth across the skies proclaiming the gospel, you've got all of this stuff going on, and then all of a sudden they're going to come to the realization they've been lied to, and that the Messiah is is going to come to them in victory. And for three and a half years, they're going to be viciously attacked. Because they're going to believe at first that it is the Messiah. He's going to get their temple built. He's going to get worship allowed. And because the Antichrist can do anything he wants. The Muslims are his religion. So he can come in and say, well, you're my religion. You move yourselves over here. And we're going to put them up here with you so that they'll be drawn to me. Um, But he hates them too. He hates both of them right the thing we've got to remember is Satan hates humanity if he had his way all of humanity would be dead in a second and I listened to a pastor the other day that said that Satan can do anything he wants to the lost world and I disagree with him Satan can only do what God allows him to do even to the lost world though God gives him more leeway with the lost world because if he gave Satan the ability to do whatever he wanted everybody would be dead tomorrow you know be, before the night before the sunset tonight because he hates humanity and if he could kill everybody he could keep them from going to God and hurt God. and that's his whole goal is to hurt God by taking as many of his precious creation away and that is why God will not let him kill humanity. So he does everything else that he can. but this is a, this is something we've got to understand because if we don't understand it, we get this false picture of Satan being all this powerful and, and really just drawing people and giving them their wishes to keep them, you know. But he'll give them their wishes to keep them from God, but that's the only reason he's doing it. And then he would, if he had the chance, he'd just kill them and, and, and put them straight to hell so that he would have them in hell. Again, not because he's the ruler of hell, but that he wants to hurt God by taking people away. Verse 29 says... But, if, okay, two, two very important words. The word but means we're changing topics, and then if means that there's potential. But if, from there you shall seek the Lord your God, that's being scattered all around the world, you shall find him if you seek him with your heart, all your heart, and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things have come upon you, even in the latter days, if you turn to your God you shall and shall be obedient to his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not forsake you neither destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swear unto them it says if you will confess if you will repent God will forgive even though you're scattered all through the world, even though you've been worshiping other gods, even though you've been doing all of the things that you shouldn't be done, if you decide to turn back to God, and again, he goes with your heart and your soul. This is the same way we confess to God. When we become Christians, it's with our heart, our soul, all of our understanding, to really believe that we're sinners, to believe that we deserve pain, uh, suffering To des- believe that Jesus came and, and lived the perfect life and died for our sin so that we could accept that gift he holds out. We have to truly believe it. Not just believe that I have sin. That's pretty easy to believe. I mean, all I have to do is understand what sin is and I'm going to understand that I sin. It's not too hard to convince people that they sin. The harder part is maybe convincing them that they deserve punishment. That's the hard one. Once you can get those first two done, it's pretty easy then to say Jesus is the answer because he paid the price. That second one is the hard one. Because people will always look around and say, well, I'm better than, and they can find a number of people they're better than. And it's always amazing when people look to compare themselves. They don't look to the people that are better than, than them. They look at the people that they're better than. Okay, they're not going to go, well, that guy, a righteous guy over there that goes to church every week and seems to have his whole, you know, we're not going to look at him. If I look at him, I look pretty bad. But I look at this drunk on the, on the corner and this panhandler over here and this bum over here and, you know, this, this uh, you know, drug dealer over here. I'm better than them, God, so I'm better than a lot of people. God doesn't grade on a curve, though. He has a set standard, and his standard is perfection. This is what he's saying if you will confess with your whole heart and soul, your innermost being. And this is why I tell people, how do you get saved? You confess that you're a sinner, that you deserve punishment, and Jesus died for you. But it's not just saying those words. It's literally, completely believing them so that you become a new creation. The words themselves are not abracadabra. You're, you're, a, you're a new creation. <laughs> you know, they're not magic words. They are the right words, but they're not just magic words. Just saying them does not make you a Christian. And this is why Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? Didn't I say that prayer, God? I said it. I know I did. I was a teenager and said it. Now, I know I didn't follow you for for 45 years, the rest of the 45 years after I said the prayer, but I said the prayer. And, I, and I've shared I was soul winning with somebody who had this poor kid backed up against a wall haranguing him to say the prayer and he said the prayer. And she let him go and I turned to her and I go, you know that kid's not saved. Oh, God's going to hold him accountable for, or, because he said that prayer. I'm going, no, he's not saved and worse yet. He th- might think that he is and you might have just condemned him to hell by, fo- by forcing him to say words that didn't mean anything. Right. You know, this is the seriousness of it the seriousness of, is it a real relationship or is it just a bunch of words? And we've got to be careful. Now, I can't stop somebody who's reading the words on a track or when we say, you know, say this is what you do, if they say it without believing it, because I emphasize very strongly, you've got to believe it with all of your heart, because I'm very sensitive to this, because I have seen the people who have prayed without meaning. I have seen pastors who have said, okay, I want everybody to say this prayer with me. I'm going, I'm a Christian. I don't need to say this prayer. And the people who are lost don't need to be saying it if it doesn't mean anything to them because now they may think that they're saved because they said the magic words that make you a Christian. It bothers me when we do these kind of things with people. They either mean it or they don't mean it. And this is why at the end of services I encourage people to come talk to me if they want to know more, if they've said these said this prayer. But I don't want them to make this big, you know, public thing thinking that this is all it takes. I walk the aisle and I'm and I'm a Christian. You know, because it's a critical issue. Now if we had a very large church where I didn't know a lot of people, we might do more of that, but I don't I want to be very careful with what we do on this. Because I know that we probably have people in our church that aren't saved just as every other church has people that aren't saved in it. And I know everybody and I know what their testimonies are. But I know that most of the people in most of the churches are not saved in a greater degree and less you know and lesser depending on the church. You know, the church like you went to the funeral probably has very few saved people in it whereas the gospel's preached and the bible is taught probably has a larger percentage but even in those churches there are people that aren't saved who may even think they're saved but they don't have the relationship all they have is this formalism I go to church every Sunday baptized I got baptized I I do read my Bible I don't understand anything but I read my Bible <laughs> I yeah I, I do all of these practical things but he says and I love here we where, where, where Moses says in verse 30 and when you are in tribulation and all these things are come, come upon you, even in the latter days, turn to God. Turn to God. God is merciful. He wants us to return to him all the time. We can be the prodigal child that's wandering around in sin in the world and God is waiting for us to return to him. With our prepared speech of, I don't deserve to be your child, I just want to be your servant. He's gonna say, come on back, son, welcome, come on back, daughter, welcome. I've been waiting for you to come back. Oh no, you're not my servant. You're you're my son, you're my child. You're going to, we're gonna we're gonna have a feast because you came back. And you know how we celebrate. Even we as parents, when our kids come back to Christ after wandering away, we celebrate. All right, you're back in church. Fantastic, I'm glad. You know, you're back into reading your Bible. Good job. You know, and we celebrate with them that they come back. And it says, For the Lord your God is merciful and will not forsake you. God will never forsake his children. We can we can walk away from him, we can we can try to go back in sin. And you know, if we're truly saved, we cannot go back to sin and enjoy it because we will feel guilty. And we will feel we know we know we're not supposed to be there, and then we have a choice. We can either humble ourselves and return back to where we're supposed to be, or we harden our heart and try to try to push through. And God says, just humble yourself and come back to the church. It, you know, is it possible that somebody in the church is going to judge you? Yes, but just ignore the ignore the idiots that are going to judge you. Go to the ones that are going to love you and, and accept you, because we're. And the the very important thing is we're never going to be accepted by everybody. And there's the old statement, if you're waiting to be accepted by everybody, you're going to be waiting a long time. Even the politicians know they're not going to be accepted by everybody. They just want to get the majority of people accepting them. But in the church, we need to realize, yes, the church is supposed to be loving. Yes, the church is supposed to be kind. Yes, they're supposed to be all of these things. Not everybody in the church belongs to the church, okay? To start with, and even those who are the church that belong to the church aren't perfect and are going to make mistakes. Even I'm going to say things every once in a while that's going to upset somebody. Just to, you know, when I speak, you know, a sharp word, I'm tired, whatever. I'm I'm not walking with God right at right at the moment that somebody talks to me and and gets a harsh word. Very good. When I ran out of cheeks. <laughs> out of cheeks, <laughs> turn, turn the other oh, turn the oh, other yeah, cheek. <laughs> I've Run out of cheeks to turn, you know. You've you finally have enough. Right? <laughs> you got it. I understood, it, understood. it, yes, because I've enough. heard it. Well, you finally had enough. But he says, "Your God is merciful, who will not forsake you, and He will not forget His covenant." Mm-hmm. Now, when he's talking about this one, there's only the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the land belongs to them, and that God will bless them. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the, of the sea and the promise of never flooding the world again okay, from Noah. But we're going to have the Davidic covenant coming up where God's going to bless them and keep the seed of David upon the throne forever. And Jesus is of the seed of David so that he will be the Messiah, the one that sits on the throne forever. The covenant with us when Jesus died for us, then he saves us. And he grabs hold of us and says, you are my child, you've accepted me, I have made you a new creature, you are spiritual, I have made you perfect, and he will not let us go when we're his child. You cannot lose that salvation when you've chosen him, it is a covenant that God made with, uh, with us that he will keep us. Salvation is a gift, and if God's gifts are without repentance. Right. He's not pulling it away. He made us a new, never before seen creature. From the throne room of heaven, He justifies us and declares us perfect. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ, and we do not get out of that clothing because, just because we sin. He is the one that does it. And this is what Moses is saying He will keep you, He won't forsake you, and He won't forget His covenant. And because of his power, he will finish it. And this is what's important. Verse 32, For I ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one side of heaven to the other, whether there has been any such thing as this great thing, which he has and has been heard. Did ever a people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live? The only other time that God really spoke with the people very strongly that a lot of people heard would have been Adam and Eve as they walked in the garden. Yeah. They got to see him. Yeah. The other different really holy people had heard God, but this was the time when God spoke to an entire nation at Mount Sinai, and they all heard his voice. I can't imagine what that would have been like. God has spoken to me at various points in my life, and only once did it seem audible. But he has spoken to me many times, but never like he did to these people. And this is what God and Moses are saying. You have a special relationship with God. He was on the mountain. You didn't see him because of the darkness and the smoke, but you heard his voice thundering from the mountain. Verse 34, Or has God assayed, which means to test, or to take, him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, which is trial, trials and tests, by signs and by wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. The hard thing to understand is how the Israelite people kept turning away from God. They watched him Turned the blood, the river, into blood. They tur- watched him bring flies in superabundance and, and lice and, and storms and hail and darkness that was so thick you, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. The, the, all of this stuff they watched God do as he ripped apart the nation of Egypt to take them out. And yet, the very first thing they did at the very first trial of their faith as they're waiting by the Red Sea was cry to Moses saying, wasn't, there just wasn't enough graves in Egypt, that's why God brought us out here so he could kill us in the wilderness. It's human nature, but they had just seen the power of God 24 hours before, and yet they turned away from him. And again, we've got to be careful that we don't judge him because we do the same things. If you read through biographies, and I've even experienced when God does something great in your life, it's usually followed up with some form of depression or attack from Satan. Yes. Billy Sunday, and D.L. Moody both would go into Great Depression after a crusade because they, not enough people got saved and they somehow thought it was their fault that more people didn't get saved. And they'd go into deep, deep depressions for days, weeks, months because not enough people got saved and somehow, it was their fault. Satan does not like to see God working, and the more that we, more that God is working, the more He will, more resources He will throw at the what, where God is working, and this is why two weeks ago I said we have been rattling Satan's chain around here. Okay, we've been rattling his chain in the town. We're on the internet, reaching over 1,800 people a month. And granted, that's not a big number compared to a lot of churches, but you know, we're doing a lot more than a lot of churches are doing. We are gathering his attention and he's going to rally his forces to start trying to knock down what's going on. And we need to prepare ourselves spiritually, because if we want to stand out on our own, we're going to fall victim as the attacks come. We're going to wonder why individuals are attacking us personally to try to drive us from the church. We're going to wonder why our reputation are are being destroyed around the town because Satan is going to try to work that out. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to be ready because Satan is not going to let it just happen. Now, we're not drawing the biggest guns that Satan has at our number, but he is moving forces against us that have not been moved against this church. In, in recent years because we're doing things that are shaking up his kingdom. We're building God's kingdom. Again, we don't know who's listening out there on the internet. We don't know what they're doing with any of these messages, how they're being touched. But I do, can tell you, is even if just 1% of 1,800 people hearing it do anything, it's worth it. They're getting ready to move into the Promised Land. And what has Satan got in the Promised Land? Why are the Canaanites, the, the uh, Perizzites, and the hebdizites Heb- and all those other being attacked? Because they are so sexually immoral that God is saying, I want them destroyed. Remember, we've said that they're going into a land where they don't even have a word other than sex. There is no bad sex. You can have any sex that you want in that land, OK? Bestiality, uh, pedophilia, incest, everything is, is game in their land. And God is saying they've had 430 years to correct. Moses, uh, uh, Abraham gave them the message he's, he was sharing with them, and they've gotten worse. So now you're going into this land, and you're going to clean it. You're going to purify it, which is why they were told to kill everything, because everything has been polluted including the animals have been polluted in this environment. And God is saying you're going in and Satan is about to lose a territory where he has got everything going. He's gonna try hard to pollute the Israelites before they get in so that he can say okay I'm not gonna be totally it's not gonna be a total loss. He does this with churches as they go forward. All of a sudden problems will come inside the church, outside the church, everywhere there will be problems people will understand what's going on because they're not aware of the spiritual battles going on and we've got to be careful because we are in a spiritual battle we are going forward for Christ and we are going into the kingdom of darkness bringing light and if you are carrying a light into darkness it also makes you a very visible target because you see that light from a long ways away and that light becomes makes you also a target Even though we're in Christ and we're protected, we're still a target. And we've got to keep that understanding that we are in the middle of all of this. And here we are seeing, he says, God, they're sending them. He says, I'm showing you a mighty thing, that he is God and there is none beside him. There is nobody like our God. Nobody that is out there that is like him. And in, our, in verse 36, Out of the heaven he made you to hear his voice, and that, you, that he might instruct you upon this earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought them out, brought you out of his sight with, the, with his mighty power out of Egypt. Why did he bring them out of Egypt? not for anything that they deserved. They had gone so far as they had forgotten to circumcise their children, because that was one of the first things Moses had to do was do a circumcision of all the males, because they had not been circumcising their children on the eighth day like they were supposed to. They were not honoring the Sabbath day that they didn't really know. They weren't honoring God. They were falling into this worship and following with God, with the gods of Egypt, And yet, God said, because of my promise to Abraham, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you out. You are my people because I made a promise to Abraham. That's how true God is. And God is not done with Israel. Don't ever let anybody teach you that God is done with Israel. They've been scattered for years, but in 1948, God gave them back their country. And the time started running until the end, uh, end days that God is working with his people. And he says, you are my people. The church age is almost over. There was a period of time when the, the Israelites were put on the back shelf when, the Christian, well, when God worked with the Christians. Not totally forgotten for Israel. Not totally eliminated. But they were put on the back shelf because it became the time of the Gentiles the time that he was working with us as Christians to spread the gospel, and God says, I'm going to take my church, and when he takes his church out, he'll start the time clock for seven years to work with Israel one last time and say, all right, are you going to follow me? Are you willing to repent? And this time it's going to be him initiating again all of the motions that are going to go in and in the Antichrist, Satan's on his last hurrah. And he's going to fight hard to try to make them think he's their Messiah and trick many of them. But God will win in the end. And the Millennial Kingdom will be established. And Christ will rule on this current earth for a thousand years. And we will rule with him. And Satan will get one last chance to battle against God and, and deceive people. And then this world will be destroyed and we'll get the new heaven and new earth. This is what we're looking forward to, the day that everything is brand new, that we will not have to worry about anything else going on, and we will be the bride of Christ, and we will see perfection. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask that you lead and guide us as we go out. Lord, help us to understand that we are in a spiritual battle and all that goes on and that you are the one that cares and that you are our protector, you are our fortress, you are our strong power. Allow us to keep hidden in you and not make a decision to walk out of the tower and get beat up real bad, but that we will just hide in you and we will watch this battle going on around us through through the safety of your strong protection. And Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for what's coming. Keep us always aware that we are in a battle. In your son's name, amen.